Let's talk science. From the University of Oningen, this is MindWise podcast, hosted and brought to you by psychology students. MindWise sent Johanna as a correspondent abroad to distant lands to talk to three psychology students that went on exchange. She was curious what their experience there was like. Let's get first transported to Brazil and hear Lucas's story. Then we'll jump over the Pacific and meet Alex in India. Finally, a stop at Colombia to speak with Valentin. Let's go on an adventure. you also encounter kind of a strange experience with regard to uh, this kind of culture clash you had? <laughs> uh, yes, I did, actually, because um, unfortunately I wasn't there when the carnival was, because that is in February, I think, or I'm not sure, April. <laughs> And um, I was there from August to January. So I wasn't able to go to the carnival, but there's a similar thing happening in Sao Paulo, it's called the Peruada and um, it's basically a carnival that is organized by the university so all the university students form like a big group of people and they have wagons with music and they just go through the city like through the city center and it just it, it's supposed to feel like carnival and What what happens there basically is that a lot of people are are drunk, <laughs> and but that's everywhere in the world, right? That's true. But um, it's it's really common for people to to make out with other people. Like I talked to to people that had like made out with 30 or 40 people on that day, and they're they're not shy about it. You know, they just go up to you and. Sometimes they don't even talk to you and they just grab your head and pull them, pull it towards you. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, that happened to me a couple of times. And sometimes you think, oh, that's quite nice. But sometimes <laughs> people do it that where you think, okay, I might pass on this one. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine that this was kind of a strange experience. Yeah. But also a lovely one. If people welcome you like this, feel very comfortable from the beginning on. Just Googled. Brazilian stereotype <laughs> and what I found was quite funny like the first four aspects that popped into my uh, Google search were machos, plastic surgery, soccer and great dancers. Do you have similar experiences that these stereotypes were confirmed or what do you think about it? Um, uh, I'm not sure actually like when you think about stereotypes in general the stereotypes like almost always have like a true side to it and I would say especially the dancing is true and I didn't see much plastic surgery but also that might be just constrained by the people I hung out with or got in touch with. Soccer? Yeah there's a there's a lot of soccer at the beach actually 
at this small um, small region where the water still comes up the beach, but it makes it flat. You know, the waves flatten it, mm -hmm. so it's nice to it's nice and smooth, but you can still play soccer on it, and it's not this sand like loose sand. Yeah. So a lot of people do that. Yeah. Could you guide us through a typical Saturday? Okay, typical Saturday. Um, all right, for me, it, I, I would wake up <laughs> and it would be already way too hot for me <laughs> because, um, yeah, Brazilian weather is kind of, kind of hot and humid. And what you do is you basically take your time with everything you do. You do, you do the regular stuff, you have breakfast, you go out with your friends to see, go to the market or go to see some music or something but you do it like really slowly. I think the speed is really different because mm -hmm. yeah, you just, you, everybody's kind of more relaxed. It's not that important to get things done on time. Mm -hmm. But once you adjust and like embrace that, it's probably not going to happen as you, you think it will, but it's going to happen, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. Then. You, you, or at least I slipped into like a mode of, of living that is really, really enjoyable, I think. To take a closer look on your time before going abroad and mm -hmm. the time where you did the decision to go to Sao Paulo, yeah. um, how did this unfamiliar and strange life overweight the, with its benefits um, the risk of being alone and not being in the sheltered environment mm. like you are right now with yeah. all your friends and throughout my life i i have enjoyed going out places i know because at some point it's going to happen and you can either way do it yourself and have control so to say about it or over it or at some point it's going to happen to you anyways. So I kind of viewed my time abroad as like a trial, you know, to to show myself that uh, Honing is not the only place I could be happy. I would like to take you on a journey right now, Lucas. Yeah. Imagine one of your favorite moments in Sao Paulo. Yeah. Okay. How would you perceive your environment and where would you stand? Where would I stand? Sao Paulo is, is actually quite a big city and most of it is not as you would imagine Brazil to be. It's not very green, it's not very... It doesn't really have that nature feeling to it. But there's a, there's a district that is mostly residential and um, There's a place up a hill where um, park is, and in this park you have a lot of, basically a lot of people just enjoying their time there and playing music, like talking to other people. You have a lot of really crazy birds <laughs> that make all noises that you can imagine, and. Um, That is one of the only places where you can watch the sunset in Sao Paulo. Because as hilly as it is, you almost never have an outlook. 
and um, that place, that park is called the place of the sunset in Portuguese. And so a lot of people go there to, um, to watch the sunset. And because Sao Paulo is so close to the equator, the sun sets way faster than here. Here it takes, I don't know how much, but it takes maybe like 15 minutes. But there you can actually see the sun disappearing behind the horizon. So when the sun disappears completely behind the horizon, everybody gets up and starts to clap <laughs> for like, I don't know, for a bit. Well. And then they all leave because it gets too cold for them, <laughs> which is... Yeah. That sounds like a nice place to visit. What's the name in Portuguese? Uh, Praça Produsol. Praça Produsol. Yeah. And what does see you later alligator mean? Uh, uh, <laughs> or just bye? Bye is uh, ate. Ate. Ate is um, until then. Ah, all right. Yeah. So, Lucas, thanks for the conversation today and for taking us on the trip with you to Sao Paulo through masses of kisses <laughs> until the sunset. Ate? Ate. I was always curious about uh, these Tibetan Buddhist monks. They're in their red robes in Tibet and they do some magic stuff. I don't know what they do. <laughs> and they say they, they can fly and they can do meditation and whatsoever. So I was curious. It's just one project. This is in India, which I was curious also about how, what, what's going on, what is happening in India. And how was your first day? How was it to arrive there in India? Wow, it was... Wow. I was together with two girls, which were also volunteers. We didn't sleep that much in, in the plane. And then this taxi driver, three o'clock in the morning, Delhi is more or less calm. So it's not that busy like you would expect and like it is actually. This is an awful place. Oh. And um, it's a taxi driver, he was drinking whiskey. <laughs> with you or? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. He sometimes he, he just stopped, by the way, to, for prayer or something. And this crazy, crazy car traffic in India, which is it's very dangerous, but it works very well. Then we arrived in, in Monastery, and mm. it's really a beautiful place, which is a little bit in the jungle. You're from Meglod Ganji, which is one part of Dharamsala, it's 2,200 meters altitude. You must walk down 365 steps into the jungle. You counted them yeah, all at once. I had to walk them every day. <laughs> <laughs> and there is this beautiful monastery. These Buddhist monks, I taught, these were 16 novices. Mm -hmm. And they come to the monastery at age 7, 8 or something. And <clears throat> the first eight years is like kind of general education. Within these first eight years, they learn how to write and how to read Tibetan language, which is a very sophisticated language. And you have two types of interpretation of this word. One is the, the very straightforward daily language use, like for example time, yeah, we meet at two o'clock. But in, in the philosophical Tibetan, this is, this is very difficult and very sophisticated thinking. It's like, um, yeah, what is time in general? Like, how, how can we perceive it? How, how can it exist? So in the third eight, year, eight years, they just recite scriptures all the time, from six o'clock in the morning to nine o'clock in the evening. They are not allowed to. I, I, actually, they wouldn't be allowed to play or to dance or to 
have fun in general. They are only allowed to do yoga and meditation and the scriptures and, and, and some kind of um, yeah, duties which, are, which monks usually do, like cleaning and stuff. Huh? Mm -hmm. So this is um, a very unnatural way of being, I suppose. Yeah. And especially for raising up children. And they get punished if they don't study enough? Or? Yes, right. Or if they don't do homework, which are loads of homework. Oh, okay. And, yeah, if they don't clean, if they, mm. if they, yeah, confront, you know, if they uh, don't admit to the rules, mm. don't follow the rules. Certainly a good thing that they are in the monastery, they come from backgrounds where, I don't know, the parents, they don't want them and they would, I don't, they would die actually. So you already mentioned your role a little bit. You've been a teacher there, right? Yes, right. What exactly did you do? How did a normal day look like in India for you? So at a normal day would be that at seven o'clock the bell was ringing. It was a very beautiful one where he had one metal stick and he was yeah, ringing the bell, a nice one. And there was breakfast and tea. After breakfast I usually tend either to prepare my classes or I have been also gardener. So I was taking care of the garden and doing stuff like this. And sometimes I would go to, and I, what I usually did also is to go for puja, which is the prayer for monks. They sit there in rows and you can attain just. And, and yeah, then at, after dinner, which, uh, dinner, lunch, which was at 12 noon, at one o'clock I was teaching then my classes, uh, which were, I, I think, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday I was teaching English, Thursday Mathematics and Friday Sciences, Western Sciences. I taught the five elements, yeah. Okay. So um, I started with water, I think, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, what do we regard as water? The, in, in Tibetan philosophy, in Buddhist philosophy, in Hindu philosophy, five elements are very important, one in their very different concept. Either, for example, in Tibetan medicine, our body consists out of three elements which is fire, uh, like your aggression, your, yeah, <laughs> your like sympathetic nervous system, mm -hmm. like this, uh, what, uh, wind, which is your thoughts, your agitation, and uh, mud, which is a combination from earth and water. <laughs> so this is like your parasympathetic nervous uh -huh. system. And like this is huge, huge and very sophisticated medicine. Mm -hmm. And, for example, they stopped uh, making surgery on open bodies 2,000 years back in Tibet. We already talked a little bit about that you uh, meditate a lot currently. How... Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. This was one of the things I wanted to learn when before I went there. Mm -hmm. I would consider meditating as an exercise of willpower, volition. Mm -hmm. And in general, for meditation, I would suggest to do it regularly, which is very, very important. Not, it's not about the sheer amount of meditation, but about the regularity and the constancy. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, and, and, and this is also what Mr. Jeremy taught us in the history of, and, uh, of psychology. We tend to take foreign tools and to import them into our culture, and thereby they get distorted. And one important thing I learned over there would be that it does not have any kind of You don't want to force anything. You, you might have the... You don't do meditation for a reason. You just engage in this. Mm -hmm. 
and not like we Western people, we, we took this tool and we say, okay, we, a are, goal. Yeah, we yeah. are doing meditation to be calmer, to raise our cognitive abilities and stuff. It's not working like this. I mean, it works, but not rightly, yeah. not, not like it should. Yeah. You were just mentioning before the podcast that there was a special place for you um, in India. And I thought that you might uh, want to share... Yeah, maybe your sensual experiences that you had over there. This was um, one one trip I did, and this started in Manali. Manali is uh, the last bigger city before you can enter the Himalayas. And this is an amazing feeling. This is what I did. Manali itself is very beautiful. It is um, this, uh, the surrounding forests and mountains they are not explored fully yet. There are people, tribes living, which do not know that this world exists with electricity and stuff. And people, they get lost. Mm -hmm. And there is completely magic happening. The river Bias is very, very strong, very, very cold and very, yeah, powerful. Uh, it's an amazing feeling also with these everywhere flowers and it's blossoming and, and yeah very hard to describe uh -huh. and then coming from this uh, yeah, blossoming area of, of nature to the desert of Himalaya which is a stone desert uh, I felt a deep feeling of love is when I saw these first big big mountains which were shaped over the track of millions of years and you can see the different layers and the different colors and you can feel the majesty of these mountains, which are impossible to capture by pictures or something. This is what I learned. Is <laughs> and and the air you can breathe there is very clear and very fine. Though I and one of the most profound uh, uh, things I experienced there was night sky. So deep love you felt for nature and life itself. And for these mountains. So you've been in Colombia for a study abroad. Yes. You want to tell us a little bit about why choosing to go to Colombia? Well, the main idea was actually I thought about I wanted to go to a Spanish-speaking country. So I went there and the first moment, I think the first experience I have where I found out or realized that this is going to be tough was in the in the airplane when the stewardess came up to me <laughs> and I thought, okay, this is going to be all right. This is what you learn for basically like the standard stuff she's gonna ask you for a water or whatever and you're gonna nail it you know you gotta speak spanish <laughs> it was horrible i didn't understand anything <laughs> in the plane and i was okay fuck it this is gonna be really really tough oh, okay and how did it end like looking back at the time in yeah, Colombia. really good really good yeah? like the first month month was hard because i was in yeah. class everybody talked in spanish like mm -hmm. uh, everything the classes in spanish your guys talk to you in spanish like the friends or like your comrades in class um, talking Spanish and there's a lot of group work and stuff like that so you can't really escape <laughs> you can't escape I mean you have to, to speak you have to learn it you have to go through it mm. but then after the first month it got really got better how were the encounters you had with other people and how did you actually get to know other people especially taking into account that you had this language barrier between you yeah I mean the first month first two maybe actually were mainly about university. Out of university we didn't even do that much because we had like um, mandatory classes every day. So I went to university every day. 
and have in, in the back of my mind that I have to pass the classes kind of because otherwise I have to pay back my scholarship. I mean, I was going around in the city also to learn Spanish actually. That was also one of my plans and I stuck to it. Was going out to the different, they have like fisher villages around the city. So I was taking a bus basically just going somewhere, sitting there in a bar and talking to the people. That's nice. In, in Santa Marta itself there's not much going on. It's not a big city. You can party on the weekends pretty much because it's also a tourist city because it is at the Caribbean coast. And it's a really good starting point to make trips to the jungle, to the mountains, to pretty much everything you can imagine, to go scuba diving or whatever, just go to the sea with the nicest beaches you can imagine, stuff like that, or go to the mountains where there's a lot of little little huts and little camping, little camping grounds where there's a lot of European guys but also Colombians having their camping grounds just built up there, I think, inofficially to be honest, because it's all like not really yeah, planned there. Um, what is the view if you stand on top of one of these mountains? Usually you have like a little valley if you're on one of those, in one of those hills or like mountains. You have a little valley that leads right to or straight to the sea. So you always saw the city from the, from the mountains like leading right into the sea, which is crazy because you see basically jungle, like wildlife, nothing going on there for a few kilometers and then come to the beach. So that was crazy. Yeah, I saw that a few times going up there yeah. and that was... It's like Pretty a good. postcard, like I don't know these Even though they don't have life. postcards there, <laughs> yeah. but it's like a postcard. Yeah, yeah it's just a perfect picture. Yeah. <laughs> um, to zoom out a little bit and taking a um, look at your travel from, um, yeah, from your current situation, what were the life lessons you learned in three words? Life lessons were independence, big time. Mm -hmm. um, languages are not as hard to learn which is not one word but yeah yeah and um, what else These are independence you said independence yeah yeah because I mean it's different there Be here I'm also abroad you know but my parents live like four hours away and I can always call them and they could be over here if, if something happens but not only my family pretty much also my, my friends and everyone but there it's like you've gone 10,000 kilometers you don't know anyone you don't speak the language so you have to get your shit together and then like yeah, yeah, do something, you know. Yeah. So that definitely I mean, took me to another level when it comes to that, like planning and, and talking to people. And also, I mean, I think also, yeah, talking to people, like getting more open. Because if they realize that you don't speak as good, they'll not avoid you, but, but they'll not approach you either. Yeah. Yeah. Because they know there's not much to get from this conversation, you know. Yeah. So you have to keep it going and well yeah that's try actually, to keep it interesting yeah that's a very nice point actually i can imagine that um yeah you have to take action in order yeah. to yeah um get them interested or to make them understand what you were actually trying to yeah. say yeah. yeah do the stuff you want to do pretty much but like put yourself in a situation that also pushes you to do something then it's like way easier apart from the fact that it also is easier to learn a language there because everybody's talking to you in that lang yeah. language all right, so you said that these experiences kind of changed you. Um, was there also like this yeah, moment of insight you had, like not as a process, for example, when learning uh, Spanish, but also um, like this moment that like changed everything, this like adventurous experience you had? There was two moments that actually really changed me. One is in, rela in relation to, to Spanish, actually, but this is just like I, I think many people told me about it before, that there's this one moment when you start understanding stuff and you can talk. I had that like after two months or two and a half months it was just like okay now I'm not like I can communicate you know I can go up to people and talk to them mm -hmm. and I'm gonna manage you wow. know this is really good 
And then that was when I was starting to travel. Because after the four months, like the university was done, they're like my backbone in Colombia, which always like kept me together. And with the people I was hanging around with was gone. And I had to do my own stuff, completely unplanned, because I had no idea what I want to do. I just thought, I mean, I want to make it to Peru. Um, didn't make it there, though, because I found out on the way that I wanted to go through Ecuador. And I stayed there pretty much because I thought I have like three weeks left now because my, before my brothers come to visit me in Colombia, I had to go back again. So I just rather stay here three weeks or like travel around Ecuador. And that was something really good because I was traveling by bus all and I had like to change a lot of times. I had to go over the border and then like talk to all the shady people that are hanging around there. And that was quite interesting because it gave me to a, like language wise, but also like in, in like in connection with other people wise, like how you approach people, that you have to be a little cautious there always. And was it sometimes dangerous to be somewhere? Did you have like some dangerous encounters with people or other creatures? I, no, the creatures not, I think, at least not as far as I know. But yeah, it's once I got robbed, but that was still back in Santa Marta actually. I was, I don't know, like might have been second month or something, or third even, I don't know, um, where someone Actually, it was stupid of me. It's like 101, how to rob someone. They robbed me because a girl was, was shouting over to me and say, like saying something. I didn't get it, you know, because she was quite far away. Yeah. And I attended to her and said, like, yeah, what's going on? Going in her way. And in that moment, I saw like out of the corner of my eye already that someone is approaching me. He was like dragging away my attention. And he was kind of to me with a knife, like standing right before, in front of me. Oh. Only good thing is, it was the only night I didn't have anything on me. Like, I didn't have my phone. I think that was the only time I didn't wear my phone, wow, have yeah. my phone with me. And I had no money because actually I was on the way to the bank with uh -huh. money. I was quite lucky that they didn't kidnap me to go to the bank and lift all I fucking have. Yeah. Um, they just, I mean, they were on drugs and said, like, okay, you got anything? You maybe get Coke or something? They said, like, yeah, nothing, guys. You can have a cigarette, but that's pretty much it. Yeah. I said, no, okay, then it's good. And then they walked off. Without the cigarette even. Yeah, without the cigarette <laughs> even. They have nothing. I mean, they were just going away, like, really sad, not even running or anything. Yeah. They were just walking away, like, head down. Just asking. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, what means a good experience, but I didn't dislike it, you know, mm -hmm. I didn't lose anything and it was a situation where I could like learn about myself that in, in critical situations I stay quite calm actually and ah. it was nice to see that because I wasn't, yeah. I mean I offered them a cigarette, I tried to keep it and not make them angry, yeah. even though I know that you should always wear something because if they get you and you don't have any money, they might get frustrated and really angry mm. and, and stab you or I don't know, hit you anyways. So I tried, okay, you know that could happen, so try to be... What means nice? I mean, but try to be re I mean, reasonable with them or whatever. Say like, hey guys, I'm sorry, I don't have anything. I'd like to give you maybe, I don't know, five bucks or anything, but nothing That's to get. The psychology student inside you. Might be, yeah. Well, Vala, thanks a lot for sharing your story with us. And what we take from it is at least... Um, go for it. Go take for it. it. <laughs> with an yeah. open eye, though. Yeah. <laughs> This podcast was a production of Mindwise, for the Department of Psychology at the University of Groningen.